Well, let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would be in our midst yet again. We thank you that this little uh, baby Felix has been more prayed over as a result of your timing of bringing him here um, for family camp um, than any other baby we've ever had. And we pray that you'd continue to be with him and to be with all of our children. Lord, you know all of the needs and the special needs and the, um, the, uh, the greatest need of all for them to know you as Lord and Savior and for them to know how loved they are, not just by us, but by you. We pray, God, that you would open your word to us this morning as we look at the next uh, chapter in this writing of Paul. And that you would touch our hearts, not just to make us more educated, but to make us more faithful. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wanted to set the tone once more, just as a reminder of Paul and the situation in which he is writing this letter. And so I uh, wanted to uh, just put it this way. Have you ever been beat up? He had. And you know, when you see two people anymore going at it, it's really freaky. Isn't it freaky? Um, that was Paul's semi-regular experience. Have you ever been shipwrecked? Anybody here ever been shipwrecked? Not even in a little boat. Um, well, he had. <laughs> Are you in the midst of being betrayed by someone? Paul was. Have you ever been blamed for causing harm to people? He had. Have you ever had to avoid going someplace because you might run into someone who was not happy to see you? <laughs> he had. Have you ever had to live with chronic pain? Paul had. Have you ever been inside a prison? He had. Had you ever been taken to prison for what you've done? He had, and he was still there when he wrote this. Today, you might feel like you're in a prison or heading into one. Or maybe put it this way, are you being asked to step up and take a lead? Paul was. Are you being put in a position bigger than you've ever known? He was. Are you concerned that you don't have enough strength to shoulder what's coming? Paul was. Is more being asked of you than ever before in your life? For him, it was. I know some of you are being asked to live like everything's normal in the midst of all of this. And what do you do when it all hits? Here's what I think, based on what Paul is saying. You wake up tomorrow... And you wonder, can you do it? Are you up for it? So much anxiety and fear tries to run our lives. And we talked last, uh, just yesterday, about um, the psychologist from our church who helps people with anxiety and depression and fear and the idea that those emotions are potentially good emotions to get away from that snake to open the pickle jar, whatever it is. But those emotions are only meant to impact us for like 10 seconds at a time. And then we're supposed to let go of those emotions. But we don't. We keep them bottled up. And, and they affect us not. They come from our brains, perhaps, but they also physiologically impact us. And our bodies are not meant to be physiologically uh, anxious for more than about 10 seconds at a time or physiologically fearful for more than about 10 seconds at a time and then we're supposed to release those emotions and we talked about thanks honey we talked about um, how we're, we're not supposed to hang on to that depression paralysis comes and goes people ask you about it and then what do you say Maybe it's basic things, or maybe you're being called to tackle some of the deep problems in our world. Things like illiteracy, 
or poverty or education or lack of leadership. But here's what I know, and this is, um, I think, uh, what we get from Paul and something that hits me. God has placed us in our current situations, and none of them are a surprise to God. It's not like God in God's kingdom, it's not like the Father saying, Jesus, did you know this was going to happen? Why, no, I didn't know. Holy Spirit, did you know this was coming? No, I'm shocked. None of what's going on in our world, and as, if, as you think about what's falling apart or what's threatening or what's looming, none of that's a surprise to God. And, not, and, and it's not an accident that you or I are here to face it. God didn't say, oh, she should have been born in the year 1890, not 1990. Oh, we missed by 100. You know, none of that is a shock to God. And as you read the news, and I, I've gotten a little wigged out this year, you know, with crazy things going on, and I think, oh, why can't it be 1953? Or whatever. You know what I mean? That's just... That's where I retreat to. I'm kind of a nostalgic person. And then I think that would be, <laughs> if it was supposed to be 1993 and I was supposed to be alive then, then I would have been. You know what I mean? God had people for 1993. God has me for 2017 right now. And that's who we are called to be and where we are called to be. And here's what I do know. It is no surprise to God and another thing I know, they're not going to get Jesus back in that tomb. Whatever is facing, whether you're concerned about the presidency, whether you're concerned about the Supreme Court, whether you're concerned about the legislature, and you should be. No, I'm just <laughs> Whatever is going on in the world, nobody is getting Jesus back in that tomb. Nothing. Death has already been conquered, and the victory belongs to Christ, not to whatever it is that you're facing. And you and I simply just respond faithfully. That's what we're called to do. God is faithful. You be faithful. And what if everything falls apart today? You wake up tomorrow, and you live faithfully. And Paul's tackling this in chapter 3. Um, if you didn't grab a piece of paper, we just put big margins so you could write notes on the side or if you don't have enough room. God bless you. If you don't have enough room in your Bible. I, how many people here write in your Bible? A little underline or a little bracket, a little along the side or a note or what? Um, a word here and there or a person's name sometimes. I do that too. So here's what Paul says, Philippians chapter 3. Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Just Think, like, he says finally like he's ending, right? <laughs> he says, oh, I'm Just almost like my done. sermons. Right. <laughs> That's what you were going to say. I, you said it That's what you. <laughs> I would have never said that, honey. <laughs> Here's what she does. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, Dee Dee. Whose side? You, no, I know whose side you're on. So, you're supposed to be. No, here's, here's what we do. Like, sometimes I'll get home and she'll be like, honey, you preached your way through two good endings. I'll be like, oh. And so now our, our phrase is land the plane, honey, land the plane. So sometimes in church she'll be like. Keep circling around, circling around, <laughs> circling around. And that thing. So, so Matt gets his preaching style from Paul because Paul says finally, but he's only halfway <laughs> he's through. More. He's <laughs> only halfway through. The, land the plane, Paul, land the plane. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but that's... <laughs> I think so. I have gotten a little better. Oh, yeah, you have. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Remember the list we started out with? Beat up, shipwrecked, betrayed, blamed for harm, avoiding going places, chronic pain inside a prison. All of this stuff, being called to still lead. And he says, rejoice in the Lord. Paul is not a Pollyanna. In the midst of things that are so bad, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. In the Lord. 
in the midst of your circumstances. You know, uh, um, it's a strange thing when you go through periods of grief or loss when something strikes you as funny and every, you should be like everyone around you thinks you should be miserable, but you almost feel guilty, don't you, laughing when you're in the midst of going through, um, any, name it, chronic illness, chronic pain, disease, divorce, uh, death, and yet God still finds ways to reach into our hearts. And we're not rejoicing specifically in the circumstances necessarily, but we are definitely called to rejoice in the Lord. He says, it's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. I'm not sure where you go for protection or what factors under your control prevent your days from being joyful. But that's a good question. What factors under your control prevent your days from being joyful? What's something that jumps out at you that you think trips you up or cuts you off at the knees from being joyful? What do you allow? Elementary school parking lot. <laughs> For those of you in the last <laughs> lecture with Ellen, Elaine. Ellen. <laughs> Yeah, Eleanor Ellen. said that she, um, you know, that, that people in, six, in elementary school parking lots are the most miserable in the world. The, the news. news. Good. The news. Mm-hmm. Oh. oh, and that's just the reason. <laughs> because you should know. <laughs> I've gotten, I mean, I haven't gotten that one. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Road drivers rage drivers. Steal our joy. Mm hmm. Traffic. Yeah. yeah. Oh, unmet expectations. Yeah. Stress. Just. Mm hmm. Yeah. When it comes in clusters, oh, my wise old pastoral care. Professor James Ashbrook said, when it comes in clusters, watch out. Yeah. Get mad at, we get mad at ourselves. It hurts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Things we once did without even thinking about it. Yeah. Aging is not for wimps, they say. Well, Paul says, in the midst of that, to realize God already knows we're not getting Jesus back in the tomb, or they're not. And, and you know, with a lot of what it is that steals our joy, um, some of the situations and the circumstances, um, Going back to joy beyond the emotion, but, but these stealers come at us emotionally, don't they? Um, one of the top books I've ever read is called Healing for Damaged Emotions. And there's a workbook, um, the Healing for Damaged Emotions workbook. And it talks about just like when you, you see a cross-section of a tree and you see the rings and you can see where... There's been like lightning strike or a, a year of drought. Um, this book really, it's so Holy Spirit filled. Um, I've done sermon series on it. We've done, had people lead Sunday school classes on it. Um, it's 13 chapters and it's a game changer. He, um, David Siemens, who's a United Methodist pastor, and he's probably been up here to Bayshore when he was, uh, before he passed away. Um, his son, Steve Siemens, is professor of sociology, I think is what it is, at um, Asbury. Does a lot of courses on the Holy Spirit. But Healing for Damaged Emotions is a powerful, powerful book. One of the things about our emotions, though, is, is as we're feeling that, it goes back to the question we shared a couple days ago, where's the threat? You know, we, um, you might be feeling stress right now. 
And one of the things you can do literally is simply take long, slow breaths. You, it's like you can't walk backwards and forwards at the same time. You cannot control your breathing and and physically hold on to stress the way you can when the emotions, which start in our mind, not in our hearts, so to speak, but it, we feel it in our hearts, don't we? So when you are, can take breathing, um, it's one of the best things that, that you learn when you sing. It's why you should all join a choir, because yeah. they work with breathing. And you can really uh, control um, the physiological experience. And, it, and as much as you feel stressed, you're like, we're in a pleasant room, and the lady in that picture, Mrs. Patton, was here two days ago in the class. And you look at the beautiful grounds, and you know Lake Huron is right there, and the beautiful reeds and the marshes. And the We're in a beautiful place. There's no direct threat right now. Paul was threatened, though, or it, at least he was concerned that the Philippians were threatened. Um, and, and so he's saying, let this joy be a safeguard to you. And then he says, look at verse 2, watch out for those dogs. <laughs> How do you think he feels about them? Those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. Do you know where that comes from? The circumcision. Yeah. For it is we who are the circumcision. We who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else, and now he's being a little bit sarcastic here. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. <laughs> How's that for a pedigree? I guess there's a, a couple questions. Well, you know what was going on. There was the clash of cultures in the first century, just like there's clashes in the churches today. And really, um, they're talking about two things. They're talking about the theology. They're talking about the practice. A lot, there was this, these people who came in after Paul to this gathering of Christ followers saying, first you must be Jewish in order to become Christian. And, and for the women, that might not have been as big a deal, but <laughs> for the guys, they were like, you ain't going there, <laughs> or I ain't going there. <laughs> nobody's, nobody's going nobody's there. Nobody's going there. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, if you know what I mean. <clears throat> but what, um, what it does lead to is, is the question, what's your heritage? And what in your heritage might have sidetracked you? You know, these, these guys were coming from, in some ways, a place of privilege because they understood the Jewish um, scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, which were um, the Bible. That was their Bible. That was their best source of God, even, um, even as God was revealing, you know, the reality of who he was in Jesus Christ and the people who knew Christ and the Christ event recording their direct eyewitness accounts. Um, and I guess it's, it's interesting for me to ask, how has my heritage tripped me up? Is it, is it making me do things or go back there, or is my identity being put in that? Here's what I love about what Paul says, is he lists all these things, and then look at verse 7. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain resurrection from the dead. Boy, that's, 
hard, I think, for us to think about, considering everything a loss. Um, but remember how we talked about what's not under the lordship of Christ. What, when you put heaven first, it's like um, everything is in its place. But when you take anything else that you're considering this profit that, it, that you may or may not have put under the lordship of Christ. And that doesn't just mean running away to the church or um, running away to this camp, but anything that, that we get close to being um, more important than our identity as citizens of the kingdom of God, our love for our families. Um, nothing is more important except God. There is this wonderful, horrible Christian song that Lee and I used to joke about, and we can't find it on, on iTunes. And it was called, the whole record was called Number Two. And, it, and so, um, you know, we would say, who do you love? And I'd say, God. And then she'd say, who do you love? And I'd say, Jesus. She'd say, who do you love? I'd say, Holy Spirit. And then she'd say, who, and who's after that? And then I'd say, you, honey. <laughs> and there was this, it was, what was the name of the? Mickey and Becky. I can't remember who they were. Mickey and Becky somebody, anyway. They had this great album called You're My Number Two, and as long as you're number two in my life, everything will go great. We really got to get that on well, could you just slaughtered digital. it? Now nobody will ever know what it is. Well, it didn't take much. <laughs> it, it's a, a laugh song. out. It was a beautiful song, and it, it was meaningful to me. <laughs> Not that I love you less and best, because you say I love you more and more. There could only be one per first place in my life, and you know who that's for, the Lord. Jesus is number one in my life, so second place will have to be for you. I'm, spending, I'm planning on spending the rest of my life in love with the two of you. Right? Get you right in the feels, right? Amen. I'd sing it to you, but I can't. So, you know, I just wanted him to know he's never going to have first place. <sighs> exactly right. Well, whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Here's I think even that, that profit, all the things that we think are profit to us, whether it's our, our job or our education or our bank accounts or our cottage um, or our children's, you know, uh, what they've done, all of the things that we think are important. Paul is saying all of those things that were so important that I used to hang my hat on. He says, I now, I've changed. All of that is in the past. And now um, there's something more important. All of that is nothing, is rubbish, he says, mm -hmm. compared to knowing Christ and following him more. Boy, it's amazing how much our social media is full of rubbish. I mean, there's some great Bible verses, but just what we want to portray that we love and we value and let alone that we want people to think that's how our family looks when we're all together all the time. Instead of, stop fighting. Look at the camera. Graham, would you smile? <laughs> all right, we're going to be here 10 more minutes if you can't smile. Yeah. Take your time. <laughs> Not that that happens in our family. <laughs> Here's what I would love to ask, and that is, um, there's kind of a pretty interesting progression, starting in verse 8. Um, in verse 10, he says, I want to know Christ. And in order to know Christ, starting in verse 8, what, what are some of the steps? And it's not like they have to be exactly sequential, but what does Paul list here um, in, in knowing Christ? What goes into that? Losing all things. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's just willing to lose all things, right? Because well, the reality is... What do we really lose? You know, I mean, in the end, what are we really losing? So I think it's almost, will, you know, willing to, to hold our things like that in our hands. Open-handed. And I've talked to 
to parents, you know, uh, it just in the last few weeks, and you know, whose kids have gone off to college, and what they thought they were going to do. Oh, he's going to be a great engineer, and he gets involved in a Christian organization. And you know, I said to this mom, "You need to hold him like this because you're holding him like this, saying this is what he's going to do." But God may have different plans for his life, and so can we as parents just hold our kids like this? saying, you know, for letting God do what God wants to do rather than saying, you know, the pressure on them to go into pre-med or go into whatever that is, you know, so because that's important to us. You know, those are the things that are important. But all of those things, you know, not only can we count those as loss for us, but can we count losing that dream for them mm-hmm. also for us? Those mm-hmm. kinds of things, holding it open, the loss of all things. That's a great one. Yeah. Knowing, so knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, lost things, considering things lost. What, what are else? some other ones? Faith. Okay. okay. Through faith in Christ. What's the first part of that one? Okay. Mm-hmm. Love and righteousness. Yeah, righteousness through faith. Does not having a righteousness of my own, right? Not like I'm, I've got this right standing before God because I am so great. You know, the righteousness of my own, the things that I try to do to be so righteous, you know, to do the right things. I don't have that mm-hmm. myself. I've given that up, that righteousness that I think I have to have. I love at the end of verse 8, it says, that I may gain Christ. So knowing Christ and gaining Christ. I think there's more and more to be known. It's this lifelong pursuit. How about being found in him? To be found in Christ. Maybe it's to be being found in him. You know what I mean? That's, that's where we are. Mm-hmm. Instead of found in him, it's found in him. That our identity is in Christ, you know, and we talked about that before. That's really good. That's, that'll preach right there. I know. <laughs> and you are. <laughs> There's also something uh, that Paul is looking for as a result of this, being found in him, righteousness through faith, power, power. That we aren't just victims, but we have energy, we have insight. We have opportunity um, for power, fellow suffering, and becoming like him. I want to just take just a moment to talk a little bit about faith. Hebrews chapter 11 um, is such a powerful chapter. If you want to read the whole Old Testament in one sitting, you could read Hebrews chapter 11. And it starts out with this. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. You know, when we consider what God wants to do and how we respond, sight unseen, here's here's something that I think this means. It's never enough to live on yesterday's faith. It's never enough to live on yesterday's faith. And that's interesting to say in, in a camp setting that has been such a, a huge part. How many people in this room grew up um, going here for, or have been going here for more than five years? Wow. Ten years. Fifteen. Twenty. Okay. We'll protect <laughs> you from the rest. <laughs> I'm three years old. The best I've done is camp Wow. Wow. That's it. And here's what's the challenge in the midst of that. And I think it's why we come back is because we're not just being nostalgic. You know, there's a touch of that and there's a beauty in that. But it's not enough to live today on yesterday's faith. Because after you've, you've lived by faith, living by the faith just isn't enough. Let me say that again. After you've lived by faith, Living by the faith just isn't enough. Part of the mystery of faith is 
that faith makes a better verb than a noun. If you think about it, what took faith yesterday is sight today, like this building that the, the patents were a part of. The, um, I mean, everything on this site, it's kind of a good uh, visual illustration. What took faith yesterday is sight today. And when we live by faith, when we step out by faith, we allow God to take us into new experiences of who God is, and our reality itself can change. Now, there's always something in us that wants to shrink God down to something we can see. And that's why I think we've got to remember when Paul says, um, all of these things found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. There's always something that wants us, wants us to shrink. We want to shrink God down to something that we can see. Every religion wants to have a manageable God. And that's why I think there's idols. And I want to have this God that I can manipulate or even remove. And most of my life is this, um, throwing a lasso around God and saying, God, bless me, bless me, bless me. Keep me, keep me, keep me. God, just bless me, Lord. I'm doing this, whatever it is you want. I'm doing this. And I'm like, in my mind, I've got this nice little package of doing what I want and then saying, God, now bless me, now bless me. When you look at what Paul was doing, going sight unseen, that's why people who are entrepreneurs and people who own businesses just amaze me. Because I, I don't think I'm that much of an entrepreneur. I have to see what I'm going for when it comes um, to some of these things. Rather than God, me doing what I want to do and trying to get God to bless me, second hand like that. And I, I think one of the um, powerful examples, uh, faith is, is like looking at your life, like every one of us is given a puzzle piece. How many people here like to do jigsaw puzzles? Yeah. Faith is like looking, looking at your life, the puzzle piece of your life, your life, your time, your shape. And faith is living with the knowledge that there is a box top somewhere. And that your piece fits in to make this beautiful puzzle, this complete picture. And faith is the fact that there is a puzzle maker that designed it, that created the reality that the puzzle is based on. The piece just didn't create itself. I think that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. We understand the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Faith begins with God. Speaking materializes when we respond. And somehow we've come to believe that faith removes ambiguity rather than faith calling us to live into it. And there's no guarantee of success. I mean, here's Paul in prison. Is that a success? By faith, it was. As he's living out the faith. You know, what I like to think about is if we, if we only attempt what we know we can do, God can leave us alone. Because God's like, oh, yeah, they, they can get away with that song. They, they've got all the skills to put that together. They could get away with building that tiny little thing. They've got the skills to do that. It's only when we attempt things that we know will fail, apart from God coming through, that we give God room to work. Does that make sense? It, I first realized that when we were doing this workbook called Experiencing God, which is another game changer. It's right, Experiencing God, Healing for Damaged Emotions, the book Boundaries, those are probably my top three like Christian books like that that have helped me so much. But faith doesn't remove ambiguity. It calls us to live into that which is the safest place that we could be if we're living it for God in the midst of our family, in the midst of our junk, in the midst of, like Ellen says, the good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> but we know, how do you pronounce the name of that town not very far from here? U-B-L-Y? Ugly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Exactly right. Well, my last thing that, 
that I want, there's such a great illustration in Noah. You know, it says, um, by faith. Um, in Genesis, it says, Noah found favor or found grace in the eyes of the Lord. How? It wasn't because he lived righteously beforehand. It was because of Noah's faith. Because Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So it wasn't that Noah had this self-righteousness thing going on. Noah had faith, and he had it for 120 years before anything happened. Think of it this way, and, and think of how this could apply. Noah had everyday faith because nothing was happening, but he still had faith. Noah had faith in God's good news and in God's warning. And, and Noah obeyed the Lord carefully, not sloppily. It wasn't like he just gave him the leftovers of his week. Or if there's any money, Noah obeyed at all costs. Think of the cost of the time and the money. Noah obeyed under daily harassment of his neighbors. But the results didn't fail to come. And here's what I want to leave you with in this section. It's this. Noah's faith saved him and his family and us long before the ark ever did. Noah's faith saved him long before the ark ever did. Now take that and just look one more time at this section. Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider him rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. So it's almost like faith is a catcher's mitt that catches God's grace, that we respond. God doesn't force himself on us. That is which faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. We catch it like that. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attain to the resurrection from the dead. And then he goes on and he says, not that I have already obtained all this, in verse 12, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, when they say brethren there, the word for that really is brothers and sisters. They just address everybody as that word brethren. I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I can't help but think of when I read that passage, I can't help but think of like, Eric Little, remember that movie, The Chariots of Fire? Right? I don't think that was his form <laughs> when he ran, babe. That was it. That was it. I, 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 I think, think he about was faster him. than that. Well, I know, but they did it in slow motion, remember? Oh. And the, you never saw the movie. I did. I fell asleep. Yeah. So It was in ninth grade. So anyway, it was a the great... The opening scene was awesome. It was a great... But Eric Little was an Olympic runner, and if you remember the story, you remember that he was, um, was supposed to run in the 100-meter uh, race in the Paris Olympics, but the, the heat, the final heat for it fell on a Sunday. And because of his faith and because of his Christian um, beliefs, he would not run that race on a Sunday. And so he forfeited what he would have won, the gold medal. But what happened was he ran in a couple other races, and he won the gold medal in a 400-meter race, and he won a silver medal in a 200-meter race. So God honored his faithfulness, but the whole movie um, uh, uh, around this man and his faith and his belief and his, um, his uh, life committed to Jesus Christ. And I think about that when I, when I read that, forgetting, you know, what is, what, is behi- what is behind and straining forward to race. Because when they, he wrote this to those uh, people there in Greece, they understood the whole idea of racing, right? They were big into the Olympics. 
big into races, big into those competitions, and they understood, you know, that idea of, of racing and not looking to the side, not looking behind to see where all the other races are. Ellen was just talking about um, her son Jalen, and he's a great runner, like the fastest in, the, in, in their county. But he always looks, right? You said he always looks behind to see who's around him. You know, and so he could be faster, probably, except that he keeps looking to see who's there, you know. Um, and so he gets his eyes off of focusing off of the end to see who's around him. So Paul says, you know, this isn't what I want you to do. To do. He says, I, verse 12, not that I have already obtained all this. And when he says all this, I think, all what? Okay? <laughs> so you can't just go, I haven't obtained Shackles. all this. He says, not that I've already obtained all this, all what? You have to go back to verse 10. What does he want? I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. And then he says, I haven't obtained all of that yet. I, I want to know Christ, is what he's saying. What do you mean, Paul? What do you mean you want to know Christ? Certainly, if anybody is, knows Christ, it's you. And he's saying, I'm not there yet. Wait, wait. If Paul isn't there yet, what's our hope, right? But he says, I'm not there yet. I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. He didn't just want to say, I want to I be resurrected. He said, I want to know the power that causes the resurrection. That's the power of God. If God's power can raise someone from the dead, listen, God's power is powerful enough to do anything because that's the most, to raise something from nothing, the dead uh, is powerful. He wants to know the power of his resurrection. He wants to know the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. He wants to have a relationship with Jesus Christ so that they have a, a fellowship and that they share in suffering. He and Jesus sharing in suffering. Listen, I don't want to share Jesus' suffering. I do not want to suffer. I want to know the first, I want to know Christ. I want to know his power. But I'm telling you, I do not want the suffering, please. Because my prayers are always, please don't, please don't make me suffer. You know, I, let's just get through this. I'd like to just live long enough, and then I want to die in my sleep. <laughs> right? And then just like, phew. We had a, a church woman just a couple weeks ago, um, 80, 87, Martha Miller. Martha Miller. She volunteered at the a VA hospital every week. You know what? She died at work volunteering, had a massive heart attack. Right then, right there, nothing. No cancer, no go, going to a nursing, nothing. Like, seriously, take me like that. That's the way I want to go. No, I don't want to suffer, okay? But Paul says, I want to have this fellowship. I want to know Jesus Christ so much that I... I share in his suffering. And he says, I want to be like him in his death. And I want to attain to the resurrection from the dead. And then he says, not that I've already done that. Nor have I been made perfect, he says, but I press on uh, to take hold of that for which Jesus Christ took hold of me. And what else does he say in, in, um, in verse 13? He says, brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself to have taken hold of it. I am not there yet. So he admits his limitations. Like he says, I, and, and his inadequacies, I am not there yet. Well, Paul, if you're not there yet, what, seriously, what is it going to take to get you there? Because you are a slow learner. Because if you haven't gotten there from what you've already experienced, then what's it going to take? You know what it was going to take? Two more years of imprisonment and, and sentenced to death by Nero and killed as a martyr. That's what it was going to take for him to get to that point. Because listen, if he had already been there, God would have taken him already. But he wasn't. So what, he, he, the, what it was going to take to get him what he wanted was a couple more years of suffering. Like God wasn't done with him yet. He had a message that he needed to, to proclaim. And I love Paul's admissions because it gives me hope. It really does. Like, like if Paul isn't there yet, then why do I berate myself? Why do I expect myself to be further along than I am if Paul wasn't any further along than he says he was? None of us have achieved completion. Well, I don't think any of us have achieved completion yet because we're all here. 
If we had achieved completion, we'd be gone. We'd be in heaven. We'd be done. You know, there's nothing. So we, none of us have. And remember in, in chapter 1 where it says, he who began a good work in you, what does it say? Will be faithful to complete it. We'll carry it on to completion. That God started something in us, and he is going to finish it. So listen, as long as you're alive, as long as you're breathing, as long as you're, you know, you've got a job to do. You are not finished yet. Paul wasn't finished yet. He hadn't written the final chapter. God had not written the final chapter. So if you think that, you know, you've, you've finished, you've taught your last Sunday school class, I don't have to volunteer in the nursery anymore. I'm Hosted your last that. baby. I'm, uh, okay, let's not get ridiculous about that. Don't make this personal. I like it when we keep it out here. <laughs> Not this way, okay? So, so as long as you're breathing, listen, you have a job to do, okay? I, I don't know what that is. Only God knows what your story is. But if you're getting a nudge from the Holy Spirit, like maybe you ought to be doing something else, you know, or maybe you ought to be saying yes, yes, say yes. You're not done yet. God's not finished. You need to be like Paul, pressing on. Pressing on toward the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. How pressing many of you on. get, would, how many of you deal with the belittling or berating of yourself, like from within? Just keep your hands up and look around. You are so not alone. Our emotions separate us from all that. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think not being run by our emotions. Our emotions, one of the things in that um, David Seaman's book, our emotions are the most unpredictable parts of our makeup. And sometimes we definitely need to separate ourselves, our decision-making from our emotions. But what if we could ask God to sanctify our emotions our emotions are signals. Um, the Boundaries book talks about, you know, if you're feeling fear, it means someone has crossed over a boundary and you need to get away. It's a very legitimate emotion. If you're feeling anger, something's wrong and you need to confront. And it doesn't mean you bite their heads off, <laughs> but you need to confront it. Um, sadness means that there has been a loss in your life that you need to pay attention to. You know, even the bad emotions are God's gift to us. And, and yet, we let them run roughshod all over us, don't we? And, and I think sometimes it's, I think it's the lie of Satan. You know, I think it's the whispering in our ear that, you know, that, and that toys with our emotions. You know, I, I think mm. that, you know, that tells us, you know, well, you're done. You're, you've done enough. You, you, or you're, why would you do that? You don't have any. You don't, you don't have anything to say in that situation. Why would you think anybody would listen to you? Why do you think you have any? You know, we're all works in progress. I think I love that because I think that the book of Philippians teaches us that we're all, we're all in this process of becoming like Christ. We're all moving towards. It, it, well, well, the reality is, is that we can be moving towards mm -hmm. something, that we all should be. And Paul's trying to say what we're supposed to be Press moving towards. You know, we're all, God's working in us. But wherever we are, and we're all so different, there's work for us to do. There's more for us to do. Not that the works is what, and we're going to get to that, because it's not the works that are important. It's not the works that save us. It's not what we do that save us. But God's calling us to do, to do. And, and, and so what's, we're all in this journey on, uh, toward maturity in Jesus Christ. And Paul hadn't gotten there yet. Interesting that he uses the word press on. Like, in other words, there's opposition. He doesn't say glide on. <laughs> you know, like we're on skates and we give one push and we're off. He says press on. 
Right. He says straining, right? He uses the word straining in verse um, uh, 13. I, I forget what is behind and I strain on to what is ahead. That, that shows that there, it's work. there's work involved mm-hmm. in all of this. And I think when we deal with anything where we're, um, where we're desiring to live the Christian life, it is work. It is work. Even physiologically, that's how we're built. I mean, if we're, we're designed to live with a certain amount of stress, it's very healthy for us. You know, I mean, people who just don't move, they've taken completely normal, healthy people, put them on bed rest for two weeks, and their, their muscle strength drops to like 60% of where it was after only two weeks of not doing anything. And he says, not that I've already attained this, not that I've already been made perfect. Listen, have you ever met people who think that maybe they might just be <laughs> perfect? Um, they have this kind of this image of um, perfection personified, like, you know, they've kind of arrived. I- I've met them. How much do you like to be around them? Like, really not at all. I just want people to be real. I don't want I don't want to think, you know, because they're not perfect. They just have this aura where they think they're perfect. Can you relate to them? Not usually. Not usually. I can't because I know where I am and I'm not perfect. There's this huge difference between perfection and excellence. Which one do you think God is calling us to strive toward? Excellent. Yes, good. Were you stretching or raising your hand? (laughs) (laughs) She's in that really comfy chair back there. I know. You better just stand up a few times just to keep (laughs) from falling asleep. Yeah, there's this this huge idea, this huge distinction between this perfection and this excellence. I want to strive towards excellence. Really, that's what I want to do. I will be perfect someday. Are you stretching or raising your hand? Go ahead. That's exactly that's exactly right. And perfection is not attainable. Excellence is attainable. I can work towards excellence all I want. That's right. Right. But we're correct, but it's we're not caused to get sloppy. We're not called to be perfect. Perfected we're in to love. Be moving toward. That's correct. right. That's correct. right. Yeah. Correct. In love. Because right. I can I can let myself off the hook really easily and get sloppy. 
and just be like, meh. When I know God loves me just like that. Love perfectly and excellence in everything else. Love perfectly and excellence in everything else. Right. But don't let that, you know, the saying, if, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing right. Well, I heard Rick Warren say, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing. And you might have to figure out how to make it right. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing. Now, don't get me wrong. I love perfectionists because they make my world a lot better. I'm not one, but I like those who like to do things right, but not when their self-worth is tied up in how they're doing. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I'm going to be an, an um, I'm not a perfectionist. I'm going to be a, um, uh, uh, an excellent. Want to do well-ish. Yeah, I'm just going to do that one. So, so here we go. So Paul says, you know, not that I've, he hasn't gotten there, but he says, then he uses this racing image. Um, and he says, I forget what is behind. I love this part. Seriously, I love this part. I, Ellen's been kind of talking about this all week, and I, I, I hope that you've had a chance to hear. And if not, um, I highly recommend you go home and listen to what she said. It's like the best ever stuff. I can't, I just can't, I get a hand cramp thinking about writing it down. I'm going to go back and, but she's got some excellent stuff in her talk on Genesis. So I hope you go back and listen to it. He says, not, I've forgotten, I'm forgetting what's behind me. He says, I don't think about the past. Or if I think about the past, I don't let it get me down. So what are the things that Paul might be forgetting? Forgetting what lies behind. What's he forgetting? He was a murderer, right? Right. Some of those very first believers, the youngest believers in the young church, he put to death. He was a murderer. Murderer of Christians of their its own kind, right? Right, so he's forgetting. That's right. 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 Yeah, it only makes sense. Right. He had to let go of a lot. Absolutely. Of his focus. Perfect. Perfect. Good, 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 perfect. What Mm -hmm. else? Right, except Amen. that he says, forgetting yes. what lies behind, right? right? So 
it's not just the junk in his past that he's forgetting. What else is he forgetting? His pedigree. The good thing, the good, even the good thing, even the ministry that he did in Philippi. He's not just resting on that. He's put, he's forgetting that because he still has more to do. You see, he's not just forgetting the bad stuff. He's forgetting past relationships, past failures, past sin, past junk, but he's also forgetting other things. He says, everything that's behind me, I'm putting it all behind me, and I'm pressing on. Some of you are trying to drag around stuff with you. You've got bags of stuff with you as you press on. And some of you are carrying, well, I was, I was a great Sunday school teacher. I was a great Sunday school teacher, and you're carrying that around with you. I'm going to continue to press on. Well, that's, it's still weighing you down because what you were mm. in the past is in the past. Forgetting what lies behind, he says, and pressing on because there's something God is calling us to, calling us to do and to be, forgetting all the good even, forgetting all the bad. I like the writer of Hebrews because he says, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles us. See, those are two different things. There are encumbrances and there are sins. There are things that we, in our past that we need to forget because they're sin. As far as the east has, is from the west, so far God has removed them from us. God's put all of that behind us. But there are encumbrances, things we're carrying around that we need to forget too. Oh, that's remember a great. Remember what God did. That's a like great. Like remembering his mercies. Right. Remember when they crossed the Jordan River and they built that little thing of, of stones. Because, Ebenezer. Right. I want you to come back and when your children say, what are those stones there? You say, well, that's what God did for us. He brought us across the Jordan River. You know, so that's a good point that he, that instead of it was not remembering what you did, but remembering. So Paul is just being really, um, say, he says, lay it aside. Lay it aside because you're going to be straining to what's ahead of you, the goal to win the prize, and the prize is heaven. The end for all of us as believers is heaven, the prize. It's our home. It's our destiny. It's what we live for as believers. And I believe heaven's only the beginning. Like, we can't even imagine. It's beyond our scope to even comprehend how good it's going to be. And I, I don't earn eternal life by living the Christian life. I don't earn eternal life by living the Christian life. It's what's there for me at the end of the race. I didn't earn it by doing anything. It's what is the prize for me. There's a, a, a group of women in, the, in 1976 um, who were uh, staff women with Campus Crusade for Christ. They were some of the uh, leaders of the women's m uh, ministry in Campus Crusade, and they were meeting together in this cabin um, in, uh, outside of Estes Park, Colorado, in 1976. Um, and I, uh, th at that time, about 9 o'clock at night, it was raining outside, and a uh, sheriff's car came up to the cabin where they were meeting, and he said, they're, the, they're, the canyon is flooding. The canyon is flooding. You need to get to higher ground. So there were two cars worth of women, eight of them, and one, they, got, they all went out, got in the cars. One went up the hill. They couldn't see very well. It was dark. It was raining. One went up the hill. And the, the other one, the, the sheriff said, go across the bridge and go down, down the canyon road. So they did that. The, the ones that went up on the hill stopped, got stopped up there and um, couldn't see anything. The ones that went down got caught in the flood. And they died in their car. And I didn't know the women who died, but I knew some of the women who lived. And what they said was that they were told to go, you know, they were told to go down into the canyon. But the, as this group of women went down and, and, and died eventually, as they found those bodies, I think this group of women went down to, to try to find, as they found the bodies in these cars, they weren't the only people who died. It was one of the most deadly um, uh, flooding accidents ever in Colorado, in the history of Colorado. Uh, as they found these cars full of people, they would find these people just trying to claw their way out, you know, with died with faces of terror. But when they got to this car of four women, their faces were peaceful. 
they were calm. There was no terror on their face because they had walked with Jesus Christ in life. And you know what? They walked right with him into eternity. There wasn't any fear. They knew what the end was, what their prize was. They had, they had strained, pressing forward to walk. They walked right into eternity. With, I, that's what I want for me. I want my life to be so forgetting what is behind, pressing on to what is ahead, that I walk from this body, this life, into the arms of Jesus Christ without any kind of a, uh, a fear. I want to press on. I want to know him. I want to be the one who walks with him. I want to press on. Mother Teresa said this. She said, this life in, li- in light of eternity will be nothing more than a bad night in a cheap motel. <laughs> who would have expected? My- I'm sorry. I read it in a book. That's not off the internet. I read it in a A bad night in a cheap motel. In light of all of eternity, can we just live pressing on, forgetting what is behind, all of that that's behind? Can we drop the junk? Can we press on to know Christ? Amen. Let's pray us out. We didn't even finish, but it's good. I've got two more pages. Land the the plane, plane, honey. honey. (laughs) That's a good one to go with. Go. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the discussion. I thank you, Lord, for how you are reaching into our hearts. I thank you, God, for the witness of Paul and the witnesses that were surrounded by Paul who shared with other people who witnessed, who shared with other people who witnessed, who shared with other people who witnessed in such a way that we are here in 2017 looking at these same words and the messages that are behind them. Lord, we pray a blessing on this day. We pray for the fellowship. We pray for the families. We pray, Lord, for all the generations. We pray, God, for Dave as he brings us the message tonight. Thank you for him and his words. We pray for the worship and for uh, the folks who are making life and death decisions throughout this day. And we ask, God, that you would bless them all. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, don't go anywhere. I have one more thing. One, this, is, this is like rich. Sorry. It's short. You just prayed long. Um, verse 16, I didn't even get there. It says this. I've never seen this in my Bible before. Somebody just put it in there. It says, verse 16, only let us live up to what we have already attained. What? Let us live up to what we have already attained. Whatever you know now, listen, whatever you know, just do it. Just do what you know to do, right? That's what he's saying. Live up to it. You know, you will spend the rest of our life trying to do what we already know. So just do what you already know. There you go. Go and do it. 